Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, we'll pick up our study at verse 4 all the way to verse 16. This is our Doubts and Answers teaching series. And the title of this weekend's message is, Isn't Christianity a Straightjacket? Question. Uh, let me give you the dogmatic assertion uh, that oftentimes we will hear as it relates to Christianity. And uh, it should be there on your notes, but uh, absolute truth is a straitjacket. Because Christians believe in absolute truth, there are those that would say, well, that's, that's a straitjacket. It harms and erodes freedom. Everyone deserves the right to determine their own truth. Uh, that's really kind of the basis of... Uh, of what a lot of people believe in, in America today. And in fact, the Supreme Court actually enshrined this belief in a 1992 ruling. Listen to what it said. The heart of liberty is to define one's own concept of existence, of the meaning of the universe. And that's part of uh, what the Supreme Court said. So that's very common these days. And this is what it would sound like. Maybe you've heard this. I've actually heard these kind of statements come from Christians, which if they understood uh, the absolute truth of God's Word, they wouldn't say these kind of things. But this has been more and more common in our society today. This is from Dan's story, Christianity on the Offense. And this is what he, uh, what he says. Have you ever heard comments like this? Homosexuality? It's just another lifestyle. It's not for me, of course, but if someone wants that kind of relationship, why shouldn't he? It's a free country, isn't it? And then uh, another uh, statement, pornography, I think it's terrible. But we can't close down the adult bookstores just because it's smut. We have to protect everyone's constitutional right of free speech. Uh, abortion, I don't agree with it personally, but a woman has a right to do whatever she wants with her body. See, those are common statements in our society today. And I've even heard, as I've stated, among Christians. Um, they're, mis they're misled, obviously. Uh, and then here's another statement. Christians, they're so narrow-minded and exclusive. Why should they have a monopoly on God? God can reveal himself in any religion. I believe that all religions are a path, are paths to the same mountaintop. Now, we dealt with that a few weeks back as it related to Jesus being the only way. But these comments, as he goes on here, have one thing in common. They reflect an increasingly popular belief in Western culture, especially in the area of ethics and religion. It is the claim that truth is relative. So we're talking about relativism. Uh, truth is relative versus truth is absolute. We as Christians believe that truth is absolute. We, we have God's holy word, and we're going to talk about that this morning. And so this, this relativistic idea of truth flows from individual beliefs, cultural worldviews, or circumstances rather than from an objective standard such as God that exists beyond human subjectivity, beyond personal opinion. So we live in a day and time when people are saying that... Um, Truth is a matter of taste, and morality is a matter of opinion. And I disagree, and the Bible disagrees. That's why I disagree. So that's where we're headed with our study. It's going to be a good one. Would you bow your heads with me? And uh, we'll dive into our text and then unpa unpack our notes here in just a moment. God, we are delighted to be here today. Open our eyes and our ears to the truth. 
that your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is eternally reliable and infinitely desirable. Give us a heartfelt conviction that would move us to God-glorifying action from the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit that Jesus will certainly come through with his promises and that what he promises is more to be desired than all the world could ever offer us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at our text here. Now, so this is how I'm going to answer that question. This dogmatic assertion, I'm going to give you defensible arguments here, that truth is inescapable. We'll talk about that. Freedom is multidimensional. And then we'll finish it up by talking about how Jesus is eternally reliable and infinitely desirable. Um, So let me read the text, and we're just going to kind of jump right in, and I'll try to explain it as we go, and we'll work through these notes, and I'll explain it more as we go. But listen up what he says here, starting at verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, so these are people that claim to be Christians, but they're not, and they've secretly, they're infiltrating the ranks of real Christians who slipped in to spy out our freedom, our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. You are never more free than when you live, walk, enjoy the relationship we have as Christians with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying we have freedom in Jesus Christ so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So you got the truth of the gospel, which happens to be about Jesus, and Jesus brings freedom. Pretty much answers the question, is Christianity a straitjacket? No. Just in those verses. He continues on. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. In other words, so here's Paul writing, and he's had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, and, but there's been some disputes among the Christians. And he goes back to, and you can read more about it in the book of Acts chapter 15. It's the Jerusalem Council. So he goes back to the leaders of the church at the time. And uh, to, to verify what he's teaching, if it is consistent with what they're teaching. And this is what, how the story continues on. Though those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. In other words, they couldn't add anything to the gospel message that I had received right from Jesus. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that would be the Gentiles, anybody that's not a Jew, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, to the Jews. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine, for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, who's Peter, and John, so remember Peter, James, and John, these are the three that were extra close to Jesus, who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas in me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So they didn't have, they didn't dispute with us on what we were teaching. We were teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the freedom that comes. So you got this group of people that are infiltrating our ranks and they're religious folks. They're the Judaizers. They're saying, no, 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 not Jesus only, but Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus, you know, keeping the laws of the uh, of the Old Testament. And that's the big dispute. And that's part of the Jerusalem council. But notice verse 10. This is what they said. Continue to preach the gospel. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, now there's this big dispute that that comes down here. It's really quite interesting to see how Paul responds. 
But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. He's eating ham sandwiches with the Gentiles. I mean, he's just, wow, that's good stuff. But notice what he does. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, fearing this group of people that are saying, no, no, it's Jesus plus. Jesus plus these laws. It's very legalistic. This is what you would classify as legalism, which brings bondage, by the way. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. Notice the word hypocritically. And then so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy is to live one way with one group of people, but then another group shows up, and then you start living another way. So this is this duplicity that you see in Peter. Oh, my goodness, Peter, what's going on? You you know, it gives us a lot of hope, though. Though he saw the resurrected Lord, he still struggled with some issues in his life. Remember, he's the guy that denied Christ three times. So he's still got a kind of a remnant of this being fearful of what people think and say within him that still needs to be worked out. It's called sanctification. It's a good lesson for us that as God continues the process, though we stand in right relationship with God, there's a process that he continues as he puts our lives back together. So he's struggling, and it's, it's hypocrisy. But notice what Paul says. This is a powerful statement here. Verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, that hypocrisy, being afraid of what people think about you, that's crazy. That's not consistent with the truth of the gospel. You have any idea what Jesus did for you? Do you have any idea what he thinks about you? Obviously not. You're not living in the reality of that because you're too, comp- too concerned about what will people think. Therefore, you've got the hypocrisy, hypocrisy working in your life. So you're not keeping in step with the truth of the gospel. I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? I, why are you doing this? You're, you're basically telling Gentiles that they have to live like Jews. That's not true. That's not consistent with the gospel. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know what a person, that a person is not justified by works. You guys know what the word justified means? It means to be declared right before God, to have a right relationship with God. All your sins completely gone before him. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He's saying that doesn't come by works. It's not by your performance. It's based on, he's going to say, by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified. There's that word again, just as if you've never sinned before. That's pretty amazing. Oh, my goodness, that's crazy, but it's not based on your performance. So no matter how bad of a week you've had, it doesn't matter. You stand perfectly righteous before God because of what Jesus Christ has done. And, and the way that you, you begin to align your life completely and totally, as Peter needs to do, as we all need to do, is to begin to believe the gospel uh, and let it rock our world down deep within our heart. It begins to change us, change everything about us. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So you're not going to be in right relationship with God by no matter how how you know, how many good works you do. It's not based on that, which every belief system says that. But Christianity, this is what separates Christianity from every belief system. Christianity says, no, it's a faith righteousness. Everything else is a works righteousness. This is the Word of God to us this morning. So here, let's, let's run through the notes. And so... We're going to answer this question. Everyone de- deserves the right to determine their own truth. 
And so here's what we need to know. Truth is inescapable. Here's your first fill in the blank. Truth is about reality. Truth is about reality. I was watching uh, my wife not feeling too well this week, and uh, she was sitting on the couch uh, yesterday watching the cooking channel, and I walked in, and on the cooking channel, it was a show, I think it was Bites or something, something like that, by Guy Fiero. You guys know who that is? Fieri? Guy Fieri? Anybody know who that is? Okay, look at that. Everybody does. And, uh, and on the show was Matthew McConaughey. Hey, okay, I hate to bust that bubble, but he's a doofus. I mean, you should have heard the, excuse my language, you should have heard the crap that he said on that show. They were talking and carrying on, and, you know, my wife had to turn it off, and she goes, that guy is so full of himself. That's what she said. She goes, oh, my goodness, i got to turn that off. This guy's just like, and uh, so it was kind of interesting, but this is the stuff that he said. He said, yeah, my my dad died in 92, but I know that his spirit is with me. And so I carry on conversation with him. And uh, he talks to me. And we interact. And I'm thinking, Matthew, where'd you pull that out of? I mean, what's what's the basis of that belief? What's the foundation of your faith, dude? What's, um, does that creed that you're spouting to the world, uh, what, what kind of credibility does it have? Probably none. I don't know what he believed. I didn't do any research on it. I just found that really kind of interesting. And that's the kind of stuff that you hear from people in America today. We just kind of make it up as we go. And, and this is what you've got to know, that truth has to do with reality. Truth is not simply whatever works, okay? You guys know that. And truth is not, uh, is not what makes people feel good, okay? And truth is not what the majority says is true, okay? That's where we're headed in our country today. That's why we're so jacked up. That's why this country is, is going to hell in a handbasket, I hate to say, but that's the truth of it. And truth is not defined by what is intended. Oh, but they have good intentions. That's not truth. It doesn't matter whether you have good intentions or not. You can, you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. We talked about that. We'll get into that in a, in a bit. Truth is not simply what is believed. Just because you believe it doesn't make it true, okay? You guys tracking with me on that? Truth has to do with reality. has to do with reality. Right and wrong are not a matter of mere taste and opinion any more than the multiplication table. Uh, C.S. Lewis made that very clear. And here's what's interesting is that, and this is where you see this hypocrisy in our society today, and I heard Timothy Keller say this, if morality is relative, then why isn't social justice as well? In other words, you say, okay, so, so you can sleep around and do whatever you want to, but then why are you so outraged when somebody kills their wife or, you know, do, do they, you know, they... they you know, or people are starving, or, you know, people are being mistreated over here, whatever. I mean, isn't social justice, social justice and morality? How can you say you can live as you please in, in your area of morality, but then in other areas, you're like dogmatic. There's hypocrisy in that. There's inconsistency. It's, it's, it's rampant in America today. So truth is about reality. By the way, next one, truth has consequences. You guys remember... Uh, the cruise line that crashed into the shoreline. Uh, anybody remember that last year? It's pretty interesting. The Costa Concordia disaster, uh, kind of this partial sinking of the Italian cruise ship, 
uh, happened on January 13, 2012. Here's what was interesting is that uh, she hit a reef during an unofficial nearshore salute to the local islanders to perform this maneuver, Captain Francisco had deviated from the ship's computer-programmed route. Okay, objective truth. He deviated from objective truth, claiming that he was familiar with the local seabed. And that ended with the loss of 32 lives. 32 people died because this guy's going off of his feelings rather than to go with, you know, the objective truth of, I better read the instruments here. So truth, truth has consequences. And uh, my sister, my little sister Lo, when we were little kids running around our house, my mom was doing some, uh, uh, doing some painting or something. My little sister was thirsty, and she came up and drank this cup, and she was very sincere in drinking this cup, but she drank it down very fast, and it was turpentine. And she began to throw up blood right after that. She was sincere, but she was sincerely wrong. Truth has consequences. You might say, okay, yeah, yeah, I understand that, Pastor Ray, but when it comes to morals, there are no consequences. I beg to differ with you. You know, let's look at your, your finances just as it relates to, you know, living out your life and your finances. You know, spend your money like there's no tomorrow, and guess what? There won't be one Tomorrow. That is. Or how about this one? And I see this. Sleep around before you settle down and get married. And if you're fortunate enough not to get an STD, you'll, you'll still, I'll guarantee you, you will still struggle with a body-soul-spirit dissonance preventing you from fully connecting to your future spouse. I'll guarantee you that. I see that all the time. I see that happen in people's lives. Because there's a brokenness. There's a shattering and a scattering of our soul and so that's why it says in Proverbs fourteen twelve, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, the way is death. And so we're seeing that firsthand here in America today. As we say, as people thumb their nose at the absolute truth of God's word and in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, then, and we're experiencing the consequences of that. Here's the third thing. Truth is the way to freedom. So truth is inescapable. Truth is about reality. Truth has consequences. Truth is the way to freedom. Now, notice this passage. I want to bring you back to our passage that we read. Passages about the early days of the Christian church. Do Christians have to continue to follow Old Testament ceremonial laws? And, uh, and the answer to that is no. Jesus Christ fulfilled them all for us. And so truth is a way to freedom. And as I, I made that very clear in verses 4 and 5. Let me read them again. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ. And then in verse 5 he talks about the gospel might be preserved. The truth of the gospel. So it's the truth of the gospel which is about Jesus brings freedom. Now remember the discussion that, that Jesus had with, with uh, Pilate? And Jesus makes a very profound statement. If you ever watch The Truth Project, uh, Dr. Tackett makes this very clear. Why did Jesus come? Turn to the person next to you. If you've ever gone through The Truth, Pro uh, Truth Project, you know the answer to this. Why did Jesus come to this earth? He came for probably a lot of reasons. This is really an important reason. Turn to the person next to you and see if they know the answer to that question. Why did Jesus come to this earth? Real quick. Actually, the answer is found in John 18.37 if you want to look it up real quick. But real quick, do that. Discuss it with the folks sitting around you. Okay, why did Jesus come? You guys get that? 
Anybody ever see the Truth Project? So do you guys know the answer to that question? You probably need to watch it, watch it again. Jesus came to, to do what? To bear witness of what? Of the truth. God came to this earth to bear witness of the truth. What is the truth? Now, you've got to get this because out there people are saying truth is a matter of taste, morality is a matter of opinion. Jesus said, uh, wrong. <laughs> I'm the truth. In fact, there's other places where he says in 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So the way to God, I am the way to God. You want to have a relationship with God? I'm the way to God. Not a way, but the way. And then he said, I'm the way, the truth. You want to know God? He's the truth. He reveals to us God and then the life. You want to experience life, fullness of life? It's found in him. It's found through Jesus as he leads us to the Father as we have relationship with him. By the way, Jesus made that very clear in John 8, 31 and 32. He said, if you continue in my word, by the word, the word continue means to abide, live, dwell, that God's word is at home within you. It's, your life is saturated with the word of God, absolute truth. If you continue in my word, then you are really my disciples. So that validates the fact that you really are a disciple of Jesus Christ. If his word dwells in you, you're living, abiding in his word, you're obeying his word, you're listening to his word, you're applying his word to your lives, And so then you are really my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will do what? It will set you free. Oh my goodness, you're you're never more free than when you are abiding in his truth and walking with him and experiencing him in your life. There's an interesting, uh, this is from the magazine of the Naval Institute Proceedings. While on maneuvers, a battleship looked out. A battleship lookout noted a light in the dark, foggy night. So a battleship looks ahead. They see this light in this dark, foggy night. After noting the light's coordinates, the captain recognized his ship was on collision course with that other vessel. Signal the ship. We are on a collision course. Advise you change course 20 degrees. The return signal came, advisable for you to change course 20 degrees, the captain said. I'm a captain, change course 20 degrees. The response was, I'm a seaman, second class. You had better change course 20 degrees. By this time, the captain was furious. He yelled, Sin, I'm a battleship, change course 20 degrees. The reply, I'm a lighthouse. Okay, you guys get it? Now listen to me. Jesus came to bear witness of the truth. This Bible is his word. You cannot break his word. You only break yourself against his word. It is a lighthouse. You will crash into the shoreline to the degree you don't live your life according to the Lord Jesus Christ and build your life according to his word. I see people regularly crashing and burning because of that. And even those that call themselves Christian, live your life according to his word. Yeah, but there's some things I don't quite agree with. Wait, 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 wait. You you don't pick and choose here. Either he resurrected from the grave or he didn't. If he didn't resurrect from the grave, he didn't validate who who he is and who he said he was. So let's just throw it, let's throw it away. Let's make it up as we go. But if he resurrected from the grave, he validated who he said he, he is. 
He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He will, he will revolutionize your life. You will experience freedom. I have never, ever experienced more freedom than when I consistently keep coming back to his word and continue to build every aspect of my life on his word. And, uh, I mean, you can argue with him, but ultimately, he's the lighthouse. He's going to keep you from crashing and burning. And so that's, that's the truth. Truth is inescapable. Here's the next one. Um, freedom is multidimensional. Let me go back to the text, verse 4, so we're free. But did you notice in verse 10, he said, okay, yeah, yeah, you're preaching the gospel, stay consistent with the gospel, but, but notice verse 10, he says, he says, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So, so in one breath, it says that we are free, but it also, in verse 10, you get this idea that there's some restrictions to that freedom. So you're free, but then there's some restrictions to that freedom based on this text. 1 Corinthians, I gave you some cross-references there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12, and 10, 23. This is what Paul writes. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And then he repeats that in this next verse. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but, but not all things will build up. So he's saying, yeah, we're free. We're not under the law, so that gives us a great deal of freedom. But hey, wait, 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 wait. That's, that's just not a license to do whatever you want to do because if you do that, then that could bring bondage to your life. That could create some issues within your life. So you're not saved by your performance, but, but you're saved by faith, but that faith certainly changes your life, and you begin to look at life a little bit differently. You say, hey, wait, wait, that doesn't really help me in my walk with Jesus. And you know what? That, that hurts those folks over there, and I don't want to do that. I want to honor him, and I want to live for him. That's what, that's what he's getting at. What motivates your, your living the kind of life that you live is not that you earn right standing with God. It's because you have right standing with God. Therefore, you do not want to dishonor him. You want to live for his glory. And you know that there's a lot of things in life that really, quite frankly, don't help you and benefit you in your walk with Jesus. So there's certain movies and music and magazines and, and TV shows and things that you say, hey, you know what, that's not really helpful. That's not very edifying. All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. That kind of messes with my head a bit. It kind of draws me away from God. And I don't like that because I want to be close to Him. I want to walk with Him. I want to know Him and experience all that He has for me. So let me give you the next three ideas here. So freedom is multidimensional. Freedom is not the absence of restrictions. How many have noticed this, that the older you get, you can't eat whatever you want to eat? You guys notice that? I think I could, I used to be able to eat whatever I wanted to eat when I was like 12 or 13, okay? But man, when I started hitting into the 20s and then especially the 30s and now that I'm in the 50s, it's like, man, I got to be careful about what I eat. I was thinking about this whole idea and uh, I'll just tell you a little little secret here. Uh, my wife's not here, so I can tell you this. Um, but uh, when I first met my wife, uh, the first place that I took her out for a date was Oregon Stop Pizza. You guys remember Oregon Stop Pizza here in town? And so, and then, then we kind of, and I think there was actually a kind of a pre-date, and the pre-date was kind of where we went. And I took her to a little French restaurant called Jacques in the Box. And, uh, <laughs> and it was... Um, and I'll never forget this. is because she ordered six of those little greasy tacos... They were one, one dollar, three for one dollar, and a Coke and a side of onion rings. And she just sat there and right in front of me, just ate that down like it was nobody's business. And I looked at her and I go, you're my kind of girl. 
I'm thinking, whoa. Now, she would, she would never do that nowadays, nor would I. We're going to eat more expensive junk food, okay? <laughs> but you can't. I mean, why? So what do we do? We want to live a little longer, don't we? So we restrict ourselves in what we eat because we want our hearts to function a little better and we want to feel a little bit better when we wake up in the morning. Quite frankly, I don't like those hangovers that I get, not from alcohol, but from, but from too many sweets. Anybody ever have a hangover from just too many sweets the night before and you wake up and you get this ripping headache? That's a sweet hangover. <laughs> Oh my goodness. It's just like, I mean, so you restrict the sweets because I want to feel better the next morning when I wake up. So freedom is not the absence of restrictions. Um, By the way, we live in a crazy society where we tell kids that they can be whatever they want to be. You know, a a five foot, two inch, hundred pound boy wanting to be a lineman for the NFL because, you know, his American school teacher told him he could be whatever he sets his mind to be. You can be anything you want to be. That's not freedom, that's bondage. He might be a jockey, but he's not going to be a football player if he doesn't grow beyond that, okay? But but that's the... So there's... Freedom is not the absence of restrictions. Here's the next point. Freedom is the presence of the right restrictions. Those that fit our design... We were designed by God to know, love, serve, and enjoy Him displaying His glory. We flourish when faithful to that design. So when we do those things that are faithful to how God has, has designed us, those things that would nurture and help us to flourish in our relationship with Him, like a fish out of water, when we run from God, we are running from everything that makes us alive and free. That's why athletes, you know, they'll have, they'll restrict certain diet things and make sure they get enough rest. And, and musicians, we got some great musicians here. And I know these musicians, they practice a lot while you and I are out messing around. They're practicing, okay? And so that they can have the freedom when they come up on stage that they can perform and give glory to God and help us to worship God. So, so the idea here is that freedom, the freedom that comes as a result of the truth, freedom is not the absence of restrictions. Freedom is the presence of the right restrictions. What's going to help me to live ultimately for God's glory. And by the way, here's, here's the ultimate freedom. To be loved and to love is the ultimate freedom by God and others, Matthew twenty two thirty four 34 through 40. This freedom of love comes from surrendering all kinds of personal freedoms because when you think about love, being loved and, and loving others, because greater intimacy requires less independence. If I want to grow in my intimacy with my, my wife, it requires me some restrictions, which would be restrictions to my independence. And uh, two people giving up their independence to increase intimacy can be heaven. And when you have a group of people like that, that they're connecting with God like that and connecting with one another can be heaven. There's nothing like loving and being loved. Uh, a, number, uh, a number of years ago, my wife and I just got married, and the best thing that could have ever happened is we moved to Springerville away from family and friends, so we were just kind of stuck with each other. No TVs, we had to get to know each other. And we did a good job at getting to know each other. It was really good for about the first year and a half of our marriage, and then we moved back down to Phoenix because I got transferred going through the apprenticeship. And so uh, I would spend my Saturday mornings out playing racquetball with a friend, uh, Kurt Edwards, who's a pastor here in the Valley. And so we'd go out and play, and, and, uh, and I remember her telling me one morning, she says, hey, when are you going to be back? I said, oh, we'll be back at such such time. And uh, I wasn't back at that such such time. I was back like two to three hours later. And she was just livid. 
She was really mad. Any guys out there relate to that? Can relate to the story? Okay. Some of you were afraid to even raise your hand, weren't you? Okay. I never did that again, though. You got to know that. Because I was, because after that, I mean, I mean, she just, she was really upset. And she's not typically the kind of upset type that she kind of stuffs it a little bit, but she let me know. She let me know she was pretty upset. And it was at that moment that I suddenly realized that my ability to make unilateral decisions had ended when I said, I do. And that I could no longer just come and go as I please. I had to have a restriction to my independence if I wanted to grow in my intimacy with her. And so I realized at that time, I said, hey, wait, wait, wait. Uh, yeah, you're right. I sh- I was, uh, that undermines my credibility with you, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I don't trust you if, you if you say one thing and then you do another. It undermines and therefore there's not much intimacy in that because I don't feel like I can open myself up to you and get close to you. You guys tracking with me? Okay, so that's why that's all really important to relationships. But there's this restriction to our independence so that we can grow in intimacy because there's nothing like the love and being loved in that, particularly with God, but also with, with one another. Um, and that's what it flows out of. Um, I also hear people from time to time, they'll say this. How many have ever heard this statement before? Uh, I'm going to have a little fun before I start following Jesus. I'm going to go out and have a little fun, and then I'm going to come back and start following Jesus. Show of hands, how many have ever said that before? That's goofy, isn't it? I mean, that's the dumbest thing in the world. And yet people say that. That's almost like saying, hey, we're going to go out to eat at Claim Jumper, but before we go into the front, we're going to go to the back and dumpster dive. We'll see what we can find there first. How many have ever done that before? That would be crazy, wouldn't it? So when, you, when someone says, guess what? I'm going to go out and have a little fun first before I sit down at the banquet table that God has for you through Jesus Christ, the freedom. What? You're insane. You're being deceived. That doesn't make any sense. He, he's, he's the truth. He came to bear witness of the truth. You'll never be more free than when you're following him. You've got him at the center of your life. And you're living your life according to what he has established for us. See, those who deny themselves to follow Christ discover they lose nothing and gain everything. There's nothing more soul-satisfying and life-liberating than the Christian life. And I know some of you, we get a lot of people that come in here that are kind of kicking the tires, they're not really sure about Christianity, people that are, are uh, non-believers, and that's so cool. We're happy that you're here. You're kind of working through the whole process. We want you to keep coming back. And I know why you're probably struggling with this whole idea of giving your all to God, because that's basically what the Christian life is, is kind of surrendering your all. And what you're thinking is that seems so one way, because I did that and I was in a relationship why, where I you know, restricted my independence only to, to be used and exploited by this other person who refused to do that. And I'm not going to do that with God. I, I, I kind of see it as one way with God. Well, guess what? It's not. It's not just one way with God. In fact, let me take you to the next point here. Um, And that is Jesus is eternally reliable and infinitely desirable. There's an interesting movie. uh, It's actually stated in this book, and this is a great resource. This is kind of the the primary resource that I've been using as we've been working through this study. But it's uh, in this book. This is uh, The Reason for God by Timothy Keller, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. It's a heavy read. He's a good writer. I like his stuff. Listen to what he says. He states here, at the end of the movie, I, Robot, 2004, the robot named Sonny has fulfilled the objectives in his design program, but now he realizes he no longer has a purpose. The movie concludes with a dialogue between Sonny 
and the other main character, Detective Spooner. Here's the dialogue. Dialogue goes like this. Sonny. This is Sonny speaking. Now that I have fulfilled my purpose, I don't know what to do, Detective Spooner. I guess you'll have to find your way like the rest of us, Sonny. That's what it means to be free. So that's, that's our society. In this view, Timothy Keller goes on and says, In this view, freedom means that there is no overarching purpose for which we were created. If there were, we would be obligated to conform to it and to fulfill it, and that is limiting. True freedom is freedom to create your own meaning and purpose. No, that's not true. That's not true. No, true freedom is living according to how God designed us. That's, that's what he's saying here. And in fact, there's a, there's a powerful verse. I, I think I put it as a cross-reference on your notes. It's found in the Gospel of John, verse 1, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking Word. Who's the Word in that? It's Jesus. But the Word that he's using is very profound, is logos or logic. It means logic. And he's saying, hey, here's the logic. Here's meaning in life. Here's the purpose of our existence. In the beginning was logic, was meaning, was purpose. In other words, Jesus Christ is absolute truth. He showed up here. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You want to know what life is all about? Look at Jesus. Jesus came to this world, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died. In him you will find freedom. And that, that's, that's the idea. That's the idea behind that I, the gospel writer John 1, 1 saying, In the beginning was the Word. Here's what you were made for, to know him, to love him, to serve him, to enjoy him, to tell others about him, to live your life for him. I mean, that word, when, when John wrote that in that day and time, and even to this day and time, I mean, that, that was a bombshell in the history of philosophy. Because they, they were most had gone the way of this uh, Professor Spooner, this guy in iRobot, almost like, hey, we can kind of make it up as we go. You, you determine your own truth, your own purpose. And, and he's saying, no, 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 logic has come to this earth. Logos, Jesus, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, let's go back to the text. Verse 14, let's tie that to this text. Peter, you're not in step with the truth of the gospel. See, to the degree we're not living in step with the truth of the gospel is to the degree we're going to experience bondage. But to the degree we're living in step with the truth of the gospel is to the degree we're going to experience freedom. This is what Paul is saying to Peter. You're a slave to what people think, causing you to be a racist. You're withdrawing from certain people when these other people show up. You don't understand the freedom of your identity in Christ, that you're absolutely loved and valued by the creator of the universe. Therefore, you shouldn't be afraid of anything. The more you understand the freedom of your identity in Christ, the less you'll be a slave to what people think. See, see, sin enslaves. In fact, if you were to read on in chapter 8 of John, where you get the verses, you shall know the truth, the truth will set you free. He goes on and he's discussing this with the Pharisees. And he says, whoever, slay, whoever sins is a slave to sin. How do we become a slave to sin? Sin enslaves us when we desire anything more than we desire Jesus Christ. That's how it gets its hold in our life. And, um, but only he can give us the freedom that we, we ultimately need. 
The more you understand the freedom of your identity in Christ, the less you'll be a slave to what people think. So let me give you the last three points. The gospel is an abstract adherence to a list of rules, one way in dehumanizing, but a concrete relationship, two way, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans fourteen seventeen, he said, uh, the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy through the Holy Spirit. So it's not, it's not do's and don'ts. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. It's freedom. See, if you have two people giving up their independence to increase intimacy, that's heaven. But if you have only one doing it, that's exploitation. But you don't have that in the gospel. Look at the next point. The absolute truth became a person and went to the cross losing his independence for you so that you can know him. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, that's freedom is knowing him, walking with him, experiencing him. And then here's the last point. He has already surrendered for you and waits for you to surrender to him. He has already surrendered to you and waits for you to surrender to him. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. His arms were nailed wide open for you. Don't stiff arm him. Come to him. Experience the freedom unlike you've ever experienced before. So here's the answer to the question. Is the Christian life a straitjacket? Are you kidding? (laughs) It's the most life-liberating, soul-satisfying life there is. You guys agree with that? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Maybe you need to make a confession of faith this morning. Maybe you just need to renew that. I would invite you to do that this morning, just between you and God. God, we, we want to be people, um, we want to be people of, of the truth, the truth of you and your word. And even as it tells us in Matthew seven twenty four, where it says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. God, that's what we want for our lives. Upon Jesus Christ, the solid rock, we stand. We want to stand on him. All other ground is sinking sand. So, God, we want to hear your truth. We want to live your truth. We want to apply your truth and live out this life knowing you, walking with you, enjoying you. Because when we do that, our lives are built upon the rock. And when the storms rage, our homes, our lives will still be standing for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, stand with me. Let me give you a blessing. Don't forget, if you want to get baptized, if you've never been baptized before, you made a confession of faith, maybe even this morning or sometime in the last year, or or maybe you've done it in the last 10 years and you've never made a public declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what water baptism is. Come right up here. We'll do a class right here at the end of the service, class right up here in the front. We'll walk you through the process. Take about five, 10 minutes to go through that class. We'd love to do that. We'd love to be able to, to help you to celebrate this really, really important decision as you make that public. Um, next weekend, we're going to talk about, uh, what is, what's the title of next weekend's message? Anybody look ahead? Someone look real quick for me. I forgot because I, I studied on it a little bit and don't remember it. 
yeah, isn't Christianity just another religion? We're going to look at, and we've talked about this a lot. Isn't is Christianity just another religion, just another one of many religions? We're going to look at the distinctiveness between the two. That's where we're headed. So, so this is my blessing for you this morning. May you uh, abide, live, and dwell in his word this next week more than ever before. Pick up this book, begin to study, and allow him to speak to you through his word. And as you do that, you will validate that you are really a follower of Jesus Christ and you will know the truth, and the truth will bring freedom. And as you experience that freedom, in essence, you're building your house, your life upon the rock-solid Jesus Christ. And upon Jesus Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so that when the storms blow in your life, and they will, you will still be standing, and you will be able to live your life for His glory. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.